0: privilege. And what a joy to be able to dive into this study. And Father, I, I I don't know if this is happening to anybody else, but I'm getting a lot of opportunities to walk this out. And uh, with challenges and opportunities and situations where I'm getting to lean in to love. And uh, what a powerful thing it is. So Father, as we continue to navigate through this, I'm asking you, Lord, to open our eyes that we may see, our ears that we may hear, our hearts that we will truly know truth, that we'll make the jump from the middle of our head to the center of our heart, and we'll know in our knower the love of Christ that compels us, that compels us to impact and touch people's lives. Uh, What a privilege and what a joy it is to do so. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. All right, we're going to be in chapter two, so if you have your book, go ahead and turn there. I'm going to... Taken most of these things and put them on the screen. We'll do some highlights on there and we'll move through it. But we're starting, this is kind of our, our go to scripture, John 13 34. A new command I give you. This is Jesus speaking love one another. We know that's really not a new command. That's like as old as, as the scripture. But he's saying, I'm, I'm reminding you of this. I'm bringing this up. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And that's that's what we're really talking about. So let me just get a quick survey. How many here have had an opportunity to exercise love this last week since we met last? How many of you have noticed an uptick in opportunities to love? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> So here's the deal. Every time we launch into something, whether we're talking about identity in Christ, whether we're talking about freedom, we could be talking about spiritual warfare, or we're talking about love. Anytime we launch into a new arena, and what happens is, is it changes your filter to where now you begin to notice things you didn't notice before. I don't know if you've ever you know, thought about, hey, I'm going to get a new car, and I'm wanting a white Chevy Silverado. You start thinking about a white Chevy Silverado. How many of you know you start seeing them everywhere? You Know what I'm talking about? What that is is that your filter has now been, made, you've made aware of that. So when we talk about spiritual things, it's the same thing. There's a filter that gets lodged in or locked into place, and now you're suddenly hyper-aware. You're more aware than you were. Our awakening series that we're doing on Sundays, I hope you're getting something out of that, but the idea there is to be fully aware the idea is to activate, to stir up. And that's exactly what we're talking about is awakening. So one of the things we want to awaken to is love, because this is the most underrated, overused, but underrated thing that there is on the planet because it really is our commission. It's our role, it's our job. I heard a guy speak in Nashville a couple of times. His name is Dan Moller. You may have heard of Todd White. Todd White's a younger guy who was saved out of a drug culture. But Dan Moeller is the one who mentored and discipled Todd White after Todd got radically saved. So if you've ever watched any of Darren Wilson's films, the Holy Ghost films, uh, Finger of God, uh, Furious Love, Holy Ghost 1 and 2, there's all these great movies where where Darren goes out and documents, uh, he goes to the darkest places in the world and documents God at work. I mean dark scary places and they have a lot of crazy run-ins and they document and take a film crew to all these wild places as they share the gospel and they pray for people and those films are documentaries that track through that if you've never seen any of them they're a game changer and uh, it just again heightens your awareness well Todd White is featured in one of those as well as Brian Head Welch of the band Korn now most of you won't know who Korn is but they're a rock and metal band that have been around for a long time still selling out arenas and what uh, the lead guitar player Brian Head Welch got radically born again a number of years ago he quit the band went and lived in a desert, gave all of his money away, literally gave millions of dollars away because he read the Bible and he said, hey, sell all you have and get rid of the poor. So that's exactly what he did. He's over in a, in a tent in the desert going, oh, what am I doing here? And the Lord speaks to him and says, why did you quit? I didn't tell you to quit the band. I didn't tell you to get out of the music industry. And the band had been begging him to come back. So when the Lord spoke to him, he comes back to us to the States talks to the band, he's back in the band, now the bass player, Feldy, I know y'all don't know who these people are, but Feldy, the bass player, he gets radically saved because his father was a prison minister, a jail minister, and his father got sick and died, and upon his death, it woke Feldy up to the gospel, and his dad had been praying for the guys in the band all these years, so now the bass player and the lead guitar player are radically saved, the rest are not, just trust me, don't Google them, don't, don't listen to their music, I'm just saying, they're not saved. But these two, the Lord said, you stay where I have you. And they are operating from the place of love. And what they do now is before the concerts, they go out into, while everybody's standing in line to come into the arenas, Feldy and Brian Welch go ahead, he go, that's his name, they go out and they share the gospel and pray for people out in the foyer. While people are waiting to get in to see these rock icons, these rock superstars, they're out there sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, hugging on people, loving people, praying for people. I mean, not just signing autographs, but bringing Jesus into a place where you would least expect it. And they're seeing people come to faith right and left. What is driving all of that? One thing, love. That is the power of love because it's love that compels us. It's love. They're so grateful for what God has done in their life that now they, can, they can't help themselves but now share the gospel wherever they go. And I look at some guys like that and I go, man, if those guys are willing to get out there and share the gospel with Jesus, you know, what's my excuse? What's our excuse? They, they're out there doing it. So I want to be doing it too. Amen, don't you? But our motive and what we're compelled by, our compulsion is what motivates, what energizes us is love. It's love. It's love for God, but love for people. It's easy as followers of Jesus to live so offended at the world. We're just so offended. We're completely put off by the behavior of the world. We're so offended by the world that we we can't even... We're trying to muster up our own kind of love. And as we're going to talk about tonight, you cannot love the world enough out of your flesh. It's just not going to happen. It's got to be the love of Christ... In you Now, you remember our saying, Major Thomas, or, or Surian Thomas, Major Egent Thomas said this, Jesus died for you so he could give his life to you so he could live his life, what? Through you. For you, to you, through you. And that is the critical piece in all of this. So guys like Todd White, who goes with the band Corn, and he'll go out there and he shares the gospel. He'll stand up on stairs and with all these people who are stoned out of their minds, heading into a rock concert, he's standing up there preaching the gospel and then asking anyone who wants to be saved to come stand there, and he's praying for hundreds of people getting saved right and left. What is that? There's one thing that would motivate you to hang it out there like that, and it's called love. It's love. So Dan Moeller mentored Todd White. Todd White has been mentoring the guys from the band, and they're out there sharing Jesus in the most crazy places, all because of love. Dan Moeller, I saw him a couple times in Nashville. Played on a worship team for him once. And this is the most loving man I've ever met in my entire life. The whole time he's preaching and teaching, he's laughing constantly. He is completely unoffendable. He is just, it's so disarming, it's shocking. And so I I triple dog dare you to go YouTube Dan Moeller and listen to him. You'll probably end up laughing through most of it. And he's just, he's this unusual guy that is so filled with the love of Jesus that it's, it's disarming and alarming at the same time. It's shocking. And being around him, he's that way off the stage as much as he is on the stage. And he's the kind of guy that when you get around him, you want some of that too. Remember what we say around here? I'll take some of that. I'll take that. I'll take that. Well, I'll take that, Dan Moeller. I want the love of Christ like you have discovered the love of Christ. Todd White, the way you've discovered the love of Christ, I want that love of Christ. Brian Head Welch. I'll take the love of Christ, the way you've discovered the love of Christ. And then let's take it to the world. Amen? So that's what we're talking about. Love. So let's keep going. Chapter 2, you've got your book. You can kind of follow along there. I'm going to just stay off on the screen for me. Two types of love for others. And you've heard of these, maybe, in various terms or different times. Our greatest calling as followers of Jesus is to be lovers. We think our greatest ca- calling is to go share the gospel. Well, you don't share the gospel unless you share from the place of love. Remember 1 Corinthians says, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am nothing. I'm just noise. I'm a clanging gong. I'm banging cymbals. I'm just static. I'm just nothing. If I don't have love, I can know all things. I can prophesy. I can operate in spiritual gifts. I can preach. I can go out on the streets and win people to Jesus. But if I don't do it from the place of love, the Bible says I'm nothing. That sounds like a closed-ended list. It's actually an open-ended list in the Scripture. A lot of open-ended lists in the Scripture. And that's one of them. So we're going to focus on two loves. The human side of love and then another kind of love called agape. And I know we've heard of this, but this is so good. So let's dive right in. Two types of love for others. Number one, let's talk about human love. This is the kind of love that we have for one another. And it's this. Human love is any and all forms of love produced by people, by you and me. It's something that's in us. The problem of every form of human love is this. Human love is subjective. Y'all know what subjective means. That means it's biased. That means it's, it's filtered. So it's subjective. It's conditional. I will love you if you perform. I will love you if you're a good guy. I'll love you if you're nice. I'll love you if you do what I want you to do. That's human love. It's conditional and it is me-centric, me-centered. It's all about me. I'll love you if you do something for me, I will love you. That's earned love. That's something that's costly. But listen to this. Human love is subjective because it's based on and or influenced by our beliefs, personal tastes, opinions, and fluctuating moods, attitudes, and feelings. So, I mean, if we're operating purely off of human love, there's one day when I'm going to be feeling it, as my daughter says, I got all the feels. When we watch movies together, she goes, oh, I just got all the feels. But there'll be one day you've got all the feels and you're on the top of the world, and then the next day you wake up and you get off on the wrong side of the bed. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you don't have the feels. And what happens is if we operate as followers of Jesus based purely on human love, we're going to be like a roller coaster. We're going to be all over the road, all over the map, on, off, on, off, on, off. And the people that are in your relational orbit are going to wonder, is this good Jimmy or is this bad Jimmy today? You ever been around people like that? You sort of tiptoe in and go, okay, is this good or bad today? Is this Jekyll or Hyde today? Which one am I dealing with? You ever been around folks like that? I've been around a lot of Christians like that. I've been around me like that. that. I'm glad I have not known you that way. I know you as loving, precious, Papa lover. That's how I see you. So listen to this. Human love is, this is the next line, human love is conditional because we put certain terms or requirements on people that they have to meet in order for us to love them. When it comes to human love, we put people under the law. And really, that's what the law did. The old covenant law, it was a set of rules that was designed to cause us to fail. I know that sounds crazy, but it was a setup for what was to come, and that was the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Lord had to show us, because we were so convinced at Babylon, you know, or or at Babel that we could build a tower and reach the sky. We were so convinced we could, we could outdo God. The enemy, Satan himself, thought he could rise above God and be more than God and be better than God. And so God has had to set up a system that created an understanding that we cannot do it on our own. And that's what the law does. The law showed us that we can't do it apart from Him. Remember what Jesus said in John 15? Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. 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 So listen to this, human love is me-centered because I determine who will be loved, how they will be loved, and whether they even deserve my love. You know, these aren't always conscious thoughts, but I'm telling you, there are underpinnings and undercurrents in our thought life that actually echo these, these words, these sentiments. I was talking to Bill. Bill and I had a lot of conversations over at High Street Cafe and comfort about this he would we would sit down he's writing this he says I'm gonna run this by you what do you think and we would just bounce this stuff off back and forth and I'm telling you he told me the same thing C.S. Lewis said about when C.S. Lewis wrote the book the um, the one about the devil screw tape letters When he wrote the screw tape letters in an interview, someone asked C.S. Lewis, how in the world were you able to get into the mind of the devil so clearly and so accurately? You know what he said? I had only to look inside. (laughs) Honest. When Bill would come up with statements like this, I'd say, where did you get that? He goes, I just looked in the mirror. I just looked in the mirror. This is my flesh, and we're all capable of this. Whether we say it out loud or even think it consciously, it is an undercurrent if we're not careful. So here's another. Here's a word, two biblical forms of human love. Ahab. It's a Hebrew word. Ahab is what it, you got to get that in it. Ahab, and it's a Hebrew word that means love of family. So it's that family love, familial love. It's 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 that love you have for your family that that you can talk about your family, but if somebody else does, we're going, we're throwing down right. You're going to take up for your family. You've got their back. You can talk bad about them, but nobody else can. It's a weird conditional, but it's a family love. You love your family. Blood is thicker than what? We said that for years. It's just, we, we have that love. So that's what that is. Phileo, in your book, it says philia. And I uh, actually actually said, where did you get that word? Because anything I ever learned in my study and all of my references talk about phileo, so I actually changed it on here because I'm going to talk to him about that because we're doing corrections as we go on this on this book. So Phileo is the Greek word. Remember, we talk about the Greek language. By the way, the Greek language that I always try to define for you, and we find a lot of mine, a lot of jewels and treasures out of, it's not it's not the kind of Greek that's spoken today. It's similar. But it's called Koine Greek, and it's actually an ancient language that's not spoken per se now, but that is the language of that time, first century. The world and the Greek empire, that was their language. So if you talk to somebody who speaks Greek today, contemporary Greek... They can understand some of it. and There's a lot of it that's very similar, but it's kind of like our own language. We don't say thee and thou anymore, right? We don't speak in a 16th century Elizabethan English anymore. But if somebody was to speak in Elizabethan English, we would kind of understand it, but we're not going to communicate that way, right? Similar situation. Koine Greek has over time, just like any other language, morphed, changed, evolved. Steve, you've got something? Classic Greek. Well, Classic Greek and Koine Greek are very similar, but Classic Greek is gonna be from a different time period. So you've got what Iliad and the Odyssey written in a, in another again a classical form of Greek, whereas you have the scriptures from first century written in Koine Greek and Aramaic. You know, there's various pieces and then even in Latin later, as it was translated into that. But Classical Greek's another form of the Greek language, just like we have Elizabethan English, the Queen's English, and then we have our aberrations of it from West Texas, right, Donnie? We, we've just completely tortured the language. But. So in phileo, it's a Greek word most, for the most general type of love in Scripture. I always think, when I think of phileo, I think of brotherly love, sisterly love. It's the love we have for one another. And uh, he, he defines it this way, encompassing the human love one has for fellow humans and the care, respect, and compassion for people in need. It's a beautiful thing. It's that empathy, that compassion that wells up in you when you go, oh, we need to help, we need to do what we can to take care of that person. It's that kind of love, or it's that kind of love when, when I see my, my family here. It's, 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 it's a combination of a hob and phileo when I see you. It's both. And so uh, those are the two different ones. So here's an example of phileo out of the scripture, Matthew 10, 37. Whoever loves phileo, father or mother more than me, is not worthy of me. And whoever loves phileo, son or daughter more than me, is not worthy of me. And that's that earthly love. That's that human love. It's not a bad love. Just because it's earthly doesn't mean it's bad. It's just incomplete it's not the best. It's not the, it's not the purest kind of love. And that's where we want to go, and that's what we want to talk about. So we're going to look at a diagram. You have it in your book there. I've, 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 uh, I have it on the screen, but I want to set it up. So you can look in your book. In the diagram, notice the different types of human love that span our relational circles. Years ago, there was a book that came out, Concentric Circles of Influence. And, and it talked about the various levels of influence that we all have and how we get further from the center of our life the less influence we have. And this is kind of a similar thing. Ahab, ahab, is love for your spouse and family. Phileo is love we have for every other relationship. So there's the diagram right there, and you can see how that which is closest to you, your family, that's a higher degree of love than phileo, but as it gets further out. So it's just an idea, gives you an idea of these two types of human love. So think about your relationships in terms of human love. Just so, think about it. Who do you love? Who are the people that are in your orbit? And I always use that terminology because I always think of these concerns. Who's in your orbit? Who's in your relational circle? Your sphere of influence, so to speak. What conditions and or expectations might you be putting on your relationships with others when it comes to loving them? I have to be real careful with my kids. Because if I'm not careful, I will inadvertently show them more love when they're doing well, when things are going great, when they have an accomplishment, which we should cheer those things, right? But we have to be careful that we're showing them the same degree of love when they're not doing so well. The same kind of love. It's difficult. It's challenging, isn't it? Because it's so easy to applaud when they do something well and to be silent when they're not doing so well. So when I was a youth pastor in Southern California, in the high desert in Victorville. Uh, we had a great church. Our, our youth group was exploding. We were experiencing a lot of love that's going on like that right over there. We were having just an amazing time. And what I realized is that we needed to do we need to do a what's right campaign, a blessing campaign on our students, because we would catch them doing things wrong, and then we would do what we do. We correct. And I remember come into to my team we had about 14 youth workers on in that group and we sat down together i said we need to, we need to shift gears we need to start catching them doing things right every time we catch somebody doing something right we need to write it down and we need to call it out and so what we started doing every week we would we would pull together and we say all right what have you caught somebody doing well timothy held the door open for a whole group of girls That was amazing. You know, he did a chivalrous thing. And we need to applaud that. Say, okay, something else. Well, uh, you know, uh, uh, Billy bought one of his friends... Uh, we went to Taco, uh, oh, where did we go, Del Taco in California. Went to Del Taco, and he he paid for his friend's food. Oh, that's awesome. So what we would do is we would call those out, and we would bring them up, and we'd give them little door prizes, or we'd clap for them, and they were always embarrassed, but they loved it. You know what I'm saying? Students hate to be pulled out, but yet they were loving it, because what we were doing, we were shifting our culture now, we still had to correct. We still had to deal with what was going on. We had a wild group in, in Southern California, just telling you. I mean, we had to have cops in the parking lot because of the gangs that were showing up to our student ministry. So it was pretty wild. And the Satanists and the warlocks and the witches, and it was, it was wild. We had all kinds. We had, we had everybody come into the group, and it was absolutely amazing, but scary sometimes. But it was, it was amazing. But what we did, we began to shift the culture. We began to value what they were doing well and calling it out instead of always getting onto them for what they were doing wrong, and it was a beautiful thing. It was a fun thing that we did, and it shifted the culture. And it, it taught us as leaders to begin to looking, to begin looking for when how do we, how can we bless? How can we bless them? How can we bless them? So it became a culture of blessing. So think about your relationships. Now the second paragraph there: the only type of love unbelievers are able to love with is human love. In contrast, as Christians, this is us, as followers of Jesus, we are equipped to love others with another form of love, and that is agape love. And this is really where I want to lean into because this is where we begin to get a little bit outside of ourselves. We get outside of the realm of what's possible in ourselves, and we lean in to what is impossible in ourselves but possible in Christ. And that's where we begin to live what the Bible calls, uses a word supernatural. Supernatural means above and beyond nature. Okay? So, what's natural is what we do naturally. So, what we default to. That's not always great because that can be very flesh oriented. But supernatural is where we're called to live. So, when people tell me, well, that's just not my personality type, I'm like, that doesn't matter. That's natural. You're supposed to live a supernatural life. That means you have the ability in Christ to rise above what's normal for you, what's normative. Does that make sense? It sounds crazy, but this is the normal Christian life. This is ground zero for a follower of Jesus, that we actually get to live above our circumstance. We've talked a lot about that on Sundays. We actually live at a higher place than normal. Isn't that amazing to think that we can actually live above the norm? Live above what's natural, to actually live supernatural. How do we do that? The one who died for you, gave his life to you, and now he's living his life through you, and that's the key. So we're going to keep moving through this. So listen to this. I love this. So number two, number one was a was, hob, uh, and then human love, and now we're talking about agape love. Matthew twenty two thirty nine. 39, it says this, and the so- second is like it. The first was love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, Right? That was the first command. And he says, a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands, or these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now look what the statement is. When it comes to the second command, the love Matthew is referencing is agape love. So this isn't just brotherly love in the actual Greek. It's agape in, the, in that text. So this is a whole nother level of love, and this is that which is supernatural, above and beyond nature. What I love about that is that because it's above and beyond nature, that means it's, it's not mine to control or to harness. It's actually mine to release and say, Lord, you live your life in me and through me. So I think I mentioned last week I had about an 11-mile drive down Bear Valley Road from from where we lived in Apple Valley, California, over into Victorville. It's a little tri-city area, Hesperia, Apple Valley, Victorville. So our church was in Victorville, but we lived in Apple Valley. So it was about 11 miles. I had a motorcycle at the time, so I rode up and down that Bear Valley Road on that motorcycle a thousand times. And I, as I was riding up to the church, I constantly prayed a simple prayer. Lord, love people through me. Lord, love people. Lord, please love people through me. Because I recognized that I wasn't capable of loving people the way they needed to be loved. I wasn't capable of of loving students the way they needed to be loved. They needed the love of Jesus, not the love of, of me. They needed Christ's love. And so it was a constant prayer. And what precipitated that was difficult circumstances. I mentioned this last week, I think, when the youth pastor before me had been in a car wreck and was killed. I don't know if I mentioned that last week or not. Did I tell that story? Okay. So you can imagine me stepping into that environment. They were angry. They were hurt. They were mad at God. The parents were upset, and I'm the next guy in line. You know, there was no interim pastor there to buffer the I was the guy. I stepped into it, and I stepped into a lot of hurt and a lot of anger. And there was a lot of triage that had to be done. Youth workers were mad. Parents were mad. The kids were mad. The students were mad. And that's where me and Annette landed and go, hey, here we are, woohoo! from West Texas. We're here to love you, Southern California, to Jesus. And they're like, whatever. It was tough. Oh, but God. Amen. Oh, but God saw the greatest revival I've ever experienced in my life in that student ministry. Because God showed up supernaturally. Whole nother story there, but we'll share. I've shared some of that with y'all. So when it comes to the second command, the love, Matthew's friend, is agape. That's this kind of love that is beyond us. And so before we go any further into the how-to, I'm going to give you a short how-to, and it has to do with what I just said. Ask the Lord to love people through you and do it out loud. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the message of Christ, by the gospel, by the word, by the by the good news. So there's something that ignites faith and catalyzes faith inside of us when we say it out loud. It's great that you're thinking it. Wonderful. Say it. Speak it. Speak into the atmosphere so that your own ears hear you praying that prayer. We can unpack that, uh, the power of words, and we're going to spend time with that in, in the larger setting. But I'm telling you, when you speak and declare the will and ways of God out loud, things have to change. You actually activate a system. Short version is this. We have a thermostat on that wall. It's buzzing away. You can hear the system going. But let's to say, it was off, and it's 95 degrees outside, and it's just getting hot in here. It's 86. I walk over to that system, and I set it on 72. What happens? It kicks a whole bunch of stuff into motion, does it not? The condenser, the unit, the fan. I mean, a whole lot of things start to go to work, and you can hear the hum of it. You can hear the fan blowing. What has happened? We have set something in motion. Now, let me ask you a question. The second that I set that at 72, and it's on 86, did it go to 72 the second I did it? Took a little time, didn't it? The system goes to work, working to change the atmosphere to match what the thermostat is set at. That is what we do with our words. Our words are like a thermostat that we are setting an expectation by faith of what needs to happen when we're in alignment with the will of God. Does that make sense? This is powerful. I'm giving you double-barrel, volatile, I mean, this is is flammable stuff I'm saying to you. This is the stuff that the devil would never want you to get a hold of. And that is how to activate faith by speaking words, by getting your words in alignment with the word of God and the will of God and the ways of God. You will change atmospheres, amen? So on a more micro level, start with this. Father, love people through me. And then take a step of faith and say it like this, Father, I thank you that you are loving people through me. What are you doing? You're getting out a little ahead of it. You're thanking him in advance because you believe that's exactly what's going to happen is you're going to love people. God's going to love people through you. Christ is going to flow through you. Does that make sense? That's agape love at work. So let's keep going. So two types of love. Here it is. Agape love is Christ's immeasurable, cannot be measured. There's no metric for it. Incomparable love for humankind. It is divine love that only, someone say only. Only. It only comes from Christ. That is why the one who died for you and gave his life to you has to do this through you. It only comes from him. Apart from him, we can do what? Nothing. We need to remind ourselves of that. I cannot work this up. I cannot work up love. I can be loving and I can do loving things, but I can't operate at this level of supernatural love apart from Him. So this predicates that I have to be completely dependent on Him. And what an awesome place to be. What an awesome place to be. You know, here's another thing it does. It takes the pressure off of me. How can we love unlovable people? How can we love difficult people? How can we love people who don't like us, who hate us, who slander us, who despise us, well, we can't. But Jesus does, and he can do it through you. Amen? So what we got to do is get to this place of trust and yielding and beginning to speak and call forth the things that be not as though they are. That's just a word principle. So it's a love, it's immeasurable, incomparable, and it's divine, and it only comes from Christ. Agape love is perfect. I love that. What casts out fear? Perfect love casts out all fear. Do you know that? That's the love of Christ, not the love of another person. There's a line from the movie, cheesiest line ever, you complete me. Remember that? Let me tell you something. No human love will complete you. That's a myth. It was a great line by Tom Cruise in the movie, but it was not reality. Only Christ can complete. So look at it. It's perfect. It's unconditional. It's sacrificial. How do we know that? Jesus laid his life down completely. He gave the best he had, and it's selfless. It is so far beyond our flesh that we find ourselves doing things that we thought, I would never do that on my own. God, something compelled me to do it. Have you ever been caught up in a moment like that, and you thought, where did that come from? I can't believe I did it. Have you ever done something where you loved someone, you served someone, you stepped out of your comfort zone, and you did it before you thought about it? Has that ever happened? That's the best place to be. That's when you're not trying to work it up, make it happen. It's like you've been compelled by the love of Christ to reach somebody, to reach out, to love, to pray, whatever it may be. It could be a million things. It may be you just spontaneously grab somebody around the neck and say, let me pray for you right now. Let me encourage you. Let me just speak life into you. Let me just build you up. And I get privilege of doing that over and over. But it works the best for me when I don't even think about it, and I find myself in the middle of it going, oh, wow, this is awesome. I didn't even think about doing it. It just happened. That's agape love in action. That's when it starts to pour out of you because Christ is living his life through you. It's so critical and so important. Listen to this. Another key truth we need to understand when we're loving others with agape love is this. Since, as a Christian, you contain all of Christ's agape love. Do you know that? This is so powerful. I remind myself of this all the time. I'm giving you a lot of how-tos of what I do for myself. I remind myself of who Jesus is, and then I remind myself He lives in me. Jesus is peace, fruit of the Spirit. Jesus is love, fruit of the Spirit. Jesus is joy, fruit of the Spirit. Jesus is kindness, goodness. Jesus is gentleness. He is faithfulness. He is self-control. I'm not. Control ourselves? Are you serious? It can only be a fruit of the Spirit. Amen? Or am I the only human in the room? That's got to be a fruit of the Spirit. And he's all of that and more, and he lives in you. Is that not amazing? That's shouting ground. That's stuff brush harbor meetings are made out of. I mean, that's the stuff that we should be going, oh my gosh, this is incredible. Wow. All of that is in me? Yeah. All of it. Here's what I love about Jesus. When he gave his life for you and you stepped over the line to say, I want Jesus as my Lord and Savior, you didn't know what you were asking. And you didn't know what you were getting. But what you were getting was the full meal deal. You ever pull up to the fast food restaurant and they go, you want me to biggie size that for you? Another 30 cents. We'll just bump that to an extra large. Yeah, that's all I need is 64 ounces of Diet Coke, right? Yeah. So... They want a biggie size. Hey, let's upgrade that. I mean, these days, anything you buy, in-app purchases, I mean, everything is like a biggie, an up and up and up and upgrade, upgrade, upgrade. Get you up to a bigger thing. I mean, let's let's upsell you on everything. That's life. but here's the deal. When you get Jesus, you get the whole thing. God doesn't go, I'm going to give you 30% because you're frankly, you're not ready to handle 100% of Jesus. No, that little five-year-old that says, I want Jesus in my heart, gets the full meal deal. And y'all hear me pray this, and I say it all the time, is there is no junior Holy Spirit. You do not get a partial. You're not getting a piece of the pie. You're getting the whole pie. You're getting everything. And that is who, not it, that is who lives in you right now as you're sitting here. We are all containers of all that Jesus is. Now, does that mean we've accessed it all? Does that mean we've figured that out? Does that mean it's become a reality to us all? No, that's the beauty of awakening. That's what we're trying to do. I believe in my heart of hearts, and this has been something the Lord's worked on me in the last six months, that true, authentic spiritual awakening is awakening to this truth. All of who Jesus is dwells in me mightily. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me that is spiritual awakening when you awaken to that truth not just here when it drops here you'll never be the same you will be unstoppable you will be unoffendable you will be a force that all the devils of hell can't stop because when you know who you are and who lives in you and whose you are you're unstoppable isn't that awesome Here's the beauty of it. I look around this room, and I know every person here that I know of has stepped over the line. You're followers of Jesus. You know what that tells me about each one of you? Is that we've got a bunch of powder kegs sitting around here just waiting to be ignited. Can you imagine the potential? We had 450 people on Sunday morning between two services. Can you imagine 450 people getting ignited with the truth The truth that sets us free. Whom the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. If we were all to get set free with that truth, 450 people, this town would never be the same. Can I get an amen? Well, I am just audacious enough to believe God can do that. I've seen it on a smaller scale when 200 students got lit up with Jesus, and I saw the impact of that on our community in Victorville, Apple Valley, and Hesperia, California. I saw God move in ways that I would never dreamed in my lifetime I would see. But you know what that has done for me? It has ruined me for normal. It's ruined me for average. If you all ever wonder why I'm so passionate, it's because I've seen God move. And when you've been up on the mountain, can you imagine Moses coming off the mountain and he's like white? He's like and he's completely transformed, and they're all like scared to go. And he's like, You should have gone. <laughs> gone. You should have gone. If you would have seen what I saw, I will never be the same. Listen, when you cannot unsee what you've seen, you cannot experience what you've experienced in God. And you know what most of us need, honestly? Can I just be real frank? We need an encounter with a living Jesus. We need an encounter. There's a lot of religious people, but we need an encounter with a living Lord. Amen. Can we just pray that? let stop right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, give us an encounter with the living Lord. Oh, Lord, the, the power, the spirit that hovered over the waters of the deep in Genesis. Lord, that same spirit dwells in us, lives in us. The same Lord, the same spirit that formed this world, that formed universes, dwells in us, awaken us, Lord, to truth. And Father, Lord, get us to the place where we are literally living above the circumstances, where we're not inundated and under the stuff of life, the distractions of life, the things of this world, but where we truly are awakened to the truth of who lives in us. In Jesus' name, everybody agreed. Amen. Amen. That's how we need to be praying. Amen. You should be praying that kind of prayer. You should be getting so bold, so audacious, so radical in your prayer time that every devil in hell trembles when you wake up in the morning. The enemy should be afraid if, when your alarm clock goes off. Oh, no, they're awake again. We're in trouble now. Amen? Amen? So here it is. We need to understand agape love. So as a Christian, you contain all of Christ's agape love. How much? Oh, you got the full meal deal, brothers and sisters, beloved. You have no excuse for not loving everyone equally. Everyone? Oh, this is where it gets really touchy. Um, I'm not even going to go there. I don't feel the freedom to say what I was about to say, so I'm not going to say it. We we may address this later on this equally thing. I think the Lord will have us go there. Agape love is the no-excuse love. Don't you love that? It's just there's no excuses. Because it's not me. It's Christ in me and through me. And that means that I can stand toe-to-toe with my enemy and just smile and nod. Yeah. Yeah. Without going into too much detail this week, uh, or in, in a situation where there had been a threat on me, and I saw that person face-to-face this week, and I looked at him, and I smiled, and I nodded, just affirmation. Hey. Hey, no fear. A, it's all good, and A, God loves you. B, C, C, God loves you. I know they're all A's. God loves you. And you know what? Christ in me was loving him, loving him. Someone who slandered me and accused Love, love, love. And I felt nothing. I felt no, eh, no uh, anger, no anger. Oh, I can't, believe. no, un- indi- I wasn't frustrated, and I wasn't righteously indignant, which is an excuse for being angry. Why don't we just call it what it is, right, folks? We just dress things up. I'm not righteously indignant. I'm mad. I'm ticked off. I'm not frustrated. We Christians dress that one up. If you do read the book by Brent Hansen called Unoffendable, he's going he's gonna to unplug and demyth some of that Christianese that we, we use to doctor our language. And one of them is, I'm frustrated. No, you're not. You're mad. Just say it. You're mad. Be honest. We get mad, amen, Christians, brothers and sisters. The only problem is we don't have a right to stay that way. So you should read that book, Unoffendable, by Brant Hansen. Yes, sir. I'm still stumbling over this. uh, Jesus loved everyone equally. I wasn't gonna go there, Jerry. No, no, no. I'm just I'm playing with you. no less love. He was calling out a behavior and a mindset in them. But oh, I'm telling you, he loved them. He died for them. He looked out upon those very people and said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. The very ones that you're talking about. Oh yeah, we still correct. Absolutely. To not correct isn't love. That's the opposite of love. The loving thing is to correct. The loving thing is to bring alignment and help people find the way and navigate. Absolutely. And two, we have to be careful that because what we do is we tend to identify and define love as, as this 1970s flower child, you know, peace, brothers, you know, love, not war. I mean, it's, we, we tend to default to these ideas that we have. We're talking about true love, agape love that is supernatural. We're not talking about anything that's natural. We're talking about Jesus, the same people that crucified him, those same people that he called vipers and said, you're nothing but a bunch of whitewashed sepulchers, you know, your tombs. And yet on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. They don't even get it. I mean, that's love, see. But he called out what was. So, it's, it's, it goes along with forgiveness, you know. I can forgive somebody, but that doesn't mean that they're not held accountable for their actions, right? There's justice. So how do I, how do I, how do I execute justice? Here's how I do it. Jesus gave us the formula. He said, pray for those who, who persecute you. Pray for those who abuse you, who, who wrongfully, he says, pray for your enemies and bless. Pray and bless for your enemies. Whoa. Is that not backwards from what we've been taught? Growing up, it's because our flesh means eye for an eye, two for a tooth. Jesus says, no, no, no. if you will pray the blessing of God. And so here's what I do to an enemy. I say, Father, I bless. Now, I'll call the name out. Father, in the name, I bless them. And Father, even as I bless them, I am aware that I am placing them under the canopy of your justice. You know what I do at that point? I let it go. Because they're now under the canopy of God's justice. Not mine. And God will do what needs to be done. Do you want me praying for you that way? That you'll get what you deserve? This I don't pray that in a mean way. I I literally, I do exactly what the Scripture says with the understanding that when I bless, I'm placing them under the canopy of God's goodness, God's grace, God's mercy, God's justice. God's going to have the last word, not me. I don't get that privilege. I'm a dead man, remember? I don't have rights. I have permission, but I don't have rights. He gives me permission to do things, to live, to enjoy this life, this world, but he doesn't give me rights. Now, my United States may give me rights, a constitution, but under I'm a dead man. I've been crucified in Christ. Boy, does that not fly in the face of a Texan. I want to break that right now. The Constitution expressly points out those rights come from God. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. Thank you. Inalienable rights, right? Yeah as a human being on this planet. But I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. as Christ that lives in me and through me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. I'm telling you guys, this love thing is more radical than we first thought when we cracked this little book open. This is radical. This is so above and beyond what we're used to thinking about love. It is radical, but it is a game-changer. And if we can walk in it, it will change the people we connect with. It will change them. And isn't that the goal? Isn't that the desire to see God transform lives? Starting with us? <laughs> Starts right here at home, right? Yeah, if it's to be, let it begin with me. Let it... Oh, me too, brother. This, this violates and offends me the whole time I'm reading it. I've been going through it going, oh, ouch. And then the opportunities I've had to walk in this. My filter shifted. I'm emceeing white Chevy Silverados all over the place just in the form of love. I'm having opportunities to step into this in conversations and like, ah, man, like really, Lord? Give me a week. Give me a break. I mean, now listen to this. This is a slide that represents that kind of love. So it's same slide, same thing, and it's a horrible thing. I just took a picture of the book because I don't have the slides. But agape love covers all of it. Notice the others covered, you know, two or three rings and then on out to friends. Started with spouse and family. That's the achab. And then the other was the phileo. Agape covers the span of everything. And I'm telling you, it's radical. It is so radical. It is so radical that it is otherworldly. And you know what? It is. It's supernatural. It is otherworldly. It is radical. So, that's just an idea or, or, or illustration of it. When you are loving others with agape love, you are loving them with the heart of Jesus. That's a lot easier prayer to pray than live out. Because we do that. We sing songs like that. Oh, Lord, we love people with the love of Jesus. Lord. But I'm telling you, when you're standing there and somebody's got their finger in your face or, or you're being slandered or you're being talked about or you're being accused or you're being gossiped about, or you're being lied about, or you're being betrayed by a friend or a family member, this this gets real, doesn't it, real quick. Real quick. And this is why we have to lean into Christ's life in us and through us. Because this is beyond us. I don't know if you're the only family that has family drama going on or if I'm the only family that has family drama going on. I'm pretty certain, looking around the room, we all got something going on. There is probably some kind of drama. Some family member is acting up. Some family, they lost their mind. When you're in sin, you're insane. Amen? When you're in sin, you're insane. And they're just acting insane and I'm telling you we all got that kind of stuff going on and what an opportunity to live in a supernatural love. Let me tell you, we don't get a buy or a pass if it's family. Yeah, you know, we can it's easier to love people you don't know well, you know, you can go to church, I I can love them across the room. But when it's family, when it's people you grew up with, it's people you've done life with, it's people you've had Thanksgiving dinner with for 20, 30 years. When it's those people that are so in your orbit, They can do the most damage because they're the closest to your heart, right? And who are we called to love? Everybody. No passes, no buys, everyone equally. Bob Goff wrote a book called Everybody Always. Everybody Always. You don't even have to read the book. Just the title will slay you. Everybody Always. Say it again. Sometimes it works. When we are attempting to agape people okay. who are doing it, that they may not receive it, <laughs> and they may stick it right in your ear. May take advantage of you. Yeah. There you go. That's a good word. He, what, what Steve said was, just because you agape somebody doesn't mean they're going to receive it. They may throw it right back in your face. So does that mean that we quit agape-ing? It's bad grammar. Does it mean that we stop, that we give up, that we, that we... Now, boundaries are important. We've talked about that with forgiveness. Henry Cloud's book, Boundaries, you need to read it. Everybody needs to read that book. Because just because you release somebody and forgive them doesn't mean you now let them destroy you from the inside out. Agape is not that. Agape is loving at another level where you're not destroyed. It's not even you. It's Jesus in you. It's Christ in you, through you. That is supernatural. You can't measure that. You can't put a metric to it. You can't spin it out in a test tube or a centrifuge. This is otherworldly. It's kingdom, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven. That's what this is. It is so otherworldly, and yet it's ours in Christ. It's otherworldly, but it's completely touchable. It's completely accessible. It's ours as a gift. It's part of our inheritance to where we can become impermeable. And when we do love somebody and they just flat out reject it, we're unmoved. We're unmoved. You'll know if you're in agape love or in phileo or ahab, if when they do reject you, you can't handle it. (laughs) You weren't in agape. I'm just saying, that's not agape. If you can't handle rejection, you can't handle being turned away, you can't handle betrayal, you can't handle slander, you're not in agape. You're still operating out of yourself as a source. And we've learned that. if If we're the source, we're in a dangerous place. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you and through you. The confident and joyful expectation of a desired good and the manifest presence of God. That's the difference. And I'm telling you, it is otherworldly, which is exactly what we are. We're citizens of another kingdom. Amen? Jerry, you got something? On our book, on page 20, underneath diagram, mm-hmm. church, that diagram, the paragraph there addresses what Jerry Yeah. Very much- I have that highlighted to read. <laughs> Here it is, in highlights, double brackets and a key. So that means key point. So listen to this. I'll read that. Thank you for pointing that out. Think about it. When it came to his agape love, Jesus did love the disciples and the little children more than he did. Or did Jesus? It's a question. Did Jesus love the disciples and the little children more than he did the self-righteous Pharisees? The answer is no, because agape love is perfect unconditional and does not play favorites because he loved with agape love. Jesus loved the Pharisees, the little children, and his disciples equally, even though he displayed it differently or expressed it differently. Again, they're the ones who at the end of the day, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. That angry mob that turned on him, those Roman soldiers that beat him and spit on him and crucified him, forgive them. Forgive them. So here's a statement, and he ends with this. It says, when you are loving others with agape love, you are loving them with the heart of Jesus. Now, back to our statement. I read this. This is in the front of the book, and it's a statement by Dallas Willard. And I love this. Dallas has passed away. If you're, any of you are familiar with Dallas Willard, he's a brilliant, brilliant philosopher, thinker, one of the best thinkers of our time. He says, our aim under love is not to be loving to this or that person, but to be a person possessed by love as an overall character of life. Love is not what you choose to do. It is what you choose to be. And there it is. That is if there's a key statement, that's it. Because it's easy to get some of this stuff and then run out and go, okay, I'm going to be more loving. I'm going to be more loving, which is exactly what we're not telling you to do. I'm not saying be more loving. I'm saying become love. And you're like, how? How? We want to skip to the how, don't we? But we got all these foundations that we have to lay. And you have to understand we're on a journey through this entire study together. So hang in there with the journey. Hang in there with the journey and allow us to lay these foundations so that as we lean into it, what'll happen is imperceptibly, it'll sneak up on you. And you'll start to Leak love just like you've been leaking life for the last two, three years. It'll start to come out of you, and you won't even notice. But others will. Others around you will notice. You know what will happen? Annette and I were talking about this on the drive-in. I said, you know, as we mature and grow in this, what happens is is that we're offended and angry for a shorter period of time than we were last week. It's not like, you know, I'm going to be mad for three days if you offend me. But as we mature and grow, I'm only mad for two and a half days. Celebrate the win. Amen. You're still mad. You're still offended. You're still frustrated. You're still, I want justice, right? Revenge, all those things. We, we, we're flashed. We all do that. But you're not mad as long as you used to be. It's like working out. Your recovery time gets quick shorter and shorter and shorter. You recover quicker. You recover quicker. You recover quicker. It's not that you are never going to be mad. Hello. That is a real emotion. But here's the deal. You don't have to be mad for three days. You don't have to be offended for two days. You don't have to be offended more than an hour. Can you imagine? As soon as that thing sneaks up on you, as soon as that happens, you are able to, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the love of Christ working through you, arrest it. Arrest it. And say, I am not going going to say that I have a right to be mad about this. I am not going to say that I have a right to be angry, to be offended. I don't have a right for revenge here. Can you imagine that? That's the heart of Christ. That's agape at work. So it's not the anger that's the problem. It's what we do with it and how we respond out of it and how it impacts our lives. That's the problem. Amen? Does that make sense? Look what he says. Love is not what you choose to do. It is what you choose to be. It is not about coming to the unlovable and trying to love them. Rather, come to them as a loving person. In other words, it's the being. It's who you, it's Christ in you. Even God doesn't just love. He is love. It is his identity. And as y'all know, we talk a lot about identity around here. It's who he is. God is love, 1 John. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time of just... Allowing ourselves to be challenged. And Lord, I feel like in a way you're starting to open us, you're cracking us open and beginning to do some heart surgery here in terms of this. We want to mature, we want to grow, but Father, we realize this is a journey that's a step at a time, a day at a time, a moment at a time, an experience at a time, an encounter at a time. So we know that we're on a journey together. Father, give us grace to rest into the journey, to lean into it and not try to run to the end so that we can just get a list of what to do to make it work. But, Lord, we can lean into and not just have a task list at the end of the study, but literally become love. Christ in us, the hope of glory. So thank you. Thank you for everyone here tonight. Thank you for the comments and the questions, Lord, and the interaction here. Give us grace. Oh, Lord. I'm asking a favor. Would you bother us with this all week? Bother us with it. Keep it on the forefront of our mind. Don't let us stick it on the back burner, but let it burn bright on the front end of this thing so that we're constantly leaning into this. And by faith, receiving by grace, by grace through faith, your love in us and through us. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen and amen. Yes, ma'am. Uh-huh. Uh, I was sitting here and Judith Ross texted me and said that Leonard collapsed at okay. a little high temperature okay. and that he was taken to the emergency room. Here in town? Okay. Let's pray for Leonard right quick. Father, in the name of Jesus, we set ourselves in agreement and we align ourselves with your word that as we pray the prayer of faith, Lord, you will raise this precious man up. We lift up Leonard right now. Whatever's going on with his health, Father, we speak life into it. We speak health into it. We speak your dunamis into it, your power, your ability. Father, your favor on him, your grace upon him. And for Judith, Lord, in the name of Jesus, we hold the situation up to you. We thank you, Father, that the doctors there are careful, they're wise, they're smart, they're trained. And Lord, that you would anoint them to work with him and anoint them to figure this out. So we speak life into this whole situation and declare goodness. And Father, we declare a good outcome in the name of Jesus. Everyone agreed and said... Amen and amen. All right. Thank you for bringing that up. Appreciate that. Yes, sir. Uh, last week, you book an Yes. So okay. I've recommended several books since then, So, and I've slept since then. So, one was The Cure by John Lynch. That is a book that I'm saying everybody read. Another one was Unoffendable by Brant Hansen, B-R-A-N-T, Hansen, H-A-N-S-E-N. Brant Hansen, Unoffendable. It's it is on Amazon. So yeah, okay, got that. Good, good. Okay, all right. Love you guys. Have an amazing week.